happy Halloween! <laughs> so I thought it might be kind of fun for this to just kind of be a little extra bonus episode. So I'm not actually going to talk to any museum personnel or visit a museum, but since it's Halloween, I thought it would be appropriate to kind of return back to some of the research that I did for the episode two that was the old jail museum. And I don't know if you guys listened to it or not, hopefully you have, but it basically talks about the Mall Dyer Witch and her stone and her story, but through researching the stuff for that episode, I actually came across a book, and it's called Mall Dyer and Other Witch Tales of Southern Maryland, and it's by Lynn Booniviri. And in it, she talks about a book that was written called Country Justice, and it was written in the 17th century by a guy named Michael Dalton. And what's really interesting is this book that he wrote was actually basically a how-to manual for anyone who wanted to know anything about laws that you should have in a community. So, I mean, he covered everything from treachery to lies to how to punish people if they've been stealing, things of that nature. And the woman who wrote this book, um, she details kind of how this book came into play when it came to persecuting witches in the area, particularly Mal Dyer, who was the witch in Maryland. So in here, it goes through about 15 different criteria lists and their lists that should be considered when officials were deciding whether or not to pursue an investigation for a witchcraft persecution. So basically it was a how to charge witches if you suspect there's a witches. These are the things that you should look at in order to actually burn them at the stake. Well, I guess to prove they're, uh, quote, guilty of being a witch. So I actually contacted the History Press, which is the publisher of the book, and I asked for permission, so we're all good and legal, just to read this small excerpt in here. And I tried to get my hands on the actual book itself, but it turns out it's a microfilm, the like the, the original Country Justice book from the 17th century. It's a microfilm at the John Hopkins University. So uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get my hands on that. But I have the next best thing, which is uh, reading out uh, out of this book instead. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so I'm going to start out. Okay, so number one, the remember, these are the ways to the criteria to consider uh, when trying to persecute a witch or a, a, a potential witch. So number one, the witch has a familiar or spirit which could appear as a man, woman, boy, dog, cat, foal, hare, rat, toad, and so forth. So basically anything could be considered a familiar, which just sounds like cheating. Um, But they would have to have been named and christened. So God forbid you have a pet. Number two, the familiar would have a big or little teat on its body in a secret place where the witch would suckle. He also leaves a mark on the witch's body, maybe red or blue spot, that is sunken or hollow. It may disappear and reappear. It does not bleed if pricked, and it's located in a secret part. So I had never before heard of witches suckling, but apparently in the 17th century, that's what uh, witches used to do, you know, the good old days. And so apparently there was the Witchcraft Act of 1604, and this declared that making a pact with the devil was punishable by death. I mean, even if no harm had been caused. If you were able to prove numbers one and two, those were sufficient to prove that they had a pact with the devil. Um, But I mean... 
as the author says, basically anyone with a tick bite was susceptible to being convicted. So then Dalton went on to recommend the following 13 criteria as evidence to also consider. So number three, possession of pictures or images of clay or wax found in the home or roasted or buried in the earth would indicate who had been bewitched. Number four, cursing, bitter implications, threats were used for revenge. Number five, the witch confessed his or her power to hurt, such as threats to do so. So like power of words was very significant at that time. So <laughs> better not be calling somebody an SOB or you could be uh, considered a witch. Number six, the witch inquires diligently about a sick party. Number seven, the witch appears as an apparition to the sick party in his fits. Number eight, the sick party who is bewitched in the middle of his fits, names the party suspected. So if he's in the middle of his bewitchment and he declares someone's name, that must be the witch that cursed him. Number nine, neighbors report that the suspected witch is kin, servant, or familiar with the convicted witch. Number 10, other witches confess their own witchcraft and testify against the suspected witch. Uh, number 11, dead body bleeds when a suspected witch touches it. Number 12, testimony of a person hurt upon his death. 13, children or servants of suspected witch confess to circumstances listed in numbers 1 through 6. 14, suspected witch voluntarily confesses to the hurt done and giving his or her soul to the devil, which I'm sure that it was very voluntary. <laughs> Number 15, Suspected witch possesses pictures of clay or wax, cut hair, bones, powders, books of witchcraft, charms, and pots or places where spirits may be kept. Uh, so it was kind of a combination of any of those things, but most dangerously numbers one and two. But if that was kind of the material that they looked at when they were going to start accusing someone of being a witch and go through the basic witch trial. That's kind of uh, what I have for you guys. I thought it was just, I thought it was really interesting um, that these are actually lists that per, like the professionals of the day would use to determine if someone was a witch or not. And it just, it seems ludicrous to us today, like laughable, look at these ridiculous lists, but these were a law to these people. They actually followed what it said and believed it. They actually believed that witches would suckle on their the teats of their familiar or spirit. And this isn't just Dungeons and Dragons stuff. This was real. So I hope that that gave you a little bit of fun knowledge. It wasn't so fun for the witches, but I thought that'd be kind of a, a spooky kind of thing to do for Halloween. And I hope that you all have a wonderful Halloween. This Halloween is actually full moon and it might be a blue moon. But anyway, I hope that you all have a really wonderful Halloween, even though it's kind of dampered a lot by COVID. And I also want to take just a quick minute here, since I'm speaking so candidly, um, to really thank the people who are listening to my podcast and all my friends and family who've been supportive. Um, I know that Dan is always on the other side listening, and I super appreciate that. And you, whoever you are that is listening to this right now, I appreciate you. And again, I just really, 
I just feel the love and I love to share the love of museums. So we're all in it together, supporting the museums in our own subtle ways. And a great way is to maybe visit any of the museums that I've talked about, give them your patronage and um, go visit some of the items. So thank you guys so much. (laughs) 